In this episode of the Living for Truth podcast, we will resume our personal reading of Christianity through the centuries, a history of the Christian church by Earl E. Carnes. Today we come to chapter 21, and we resume our reading in a section titled The Supremacy of the Papacy from 1054 to 1305. This is a new section in this book, um, in a new era. And we come to chapter 21, The Zenith of Papal Power. The papacy exercised great temporal power between 1054 and 1305. Hildebrand was able to humble the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Innocent III was powerful enough to force rulers of rising nation-states to do his will, and the papacy inspired the early Crusades. The rise of universities and scholasticism strengthened the intellectual foundations of papal power. Monastic reform added to papal power by giving the Pope many zealous monks, who were his obedient servants. It is doubtful whether the papacy has ever exercised such absolute power over all phases of life as it did in medieval Europe during this era. However, it would soon find nationalism in France and England, and conciliarism harder to handle. Roman numeral 1. Gregory VII asserts papal supremacy. Heading A. The power behind the papal throne. The pontificates of Gregory VII and Innocent III easily dominate the history of the medieval papacy. Both men were willing to accept the idea that God had given the Pope and the temporal ruler coordinate sovereignty over the souls and bodies of people. The Pope would not accept the idea that he derived his control over the souls of men and women from the temporal ruler to whom God had given sovereignty, and the ruler would not willingly consent to the idea that he exercised sovereignty over the bodies of men and women by a gracious grant of power from the Pope. No subsequent Pope has ever been able to enforce this last claim as successfully as the, these two Popes did. Hildebrand, circa 1023, to 1085, laid the foundations on which Innocent was able, to at much a later date, to build in making claims to his supreme power. Hildebrand's career readily divides itself into two periods. He was the power behind the papal throne for over 20 years before he became pope in 1073, and from 1073 until his death in 1085, he exercised the powers that he had obtained for the popes while he was a humble supporter of the papacy. He was able to influence the formulation of papal policy under five popes before he finally became pope. This small, ungainly man with a weak voice had all the zeal of the best reformers of the Cluniac, Cluniac monasteries, with whose program the reform of reform he sympathized. He also opposed clerical marriage and lay investiture. From his time on, celibacy was the pattern of the Roman Catholic clergy. Leo IX gave Hildebrand his chance to become the power behind the papal throne by selecting him and other good men from outside Rome to fill important positions in the papal curia. About the beginning of the 4th century, certain churches in Rome and its environs had been designated as exclusive sites for baptisms. Pastors of these churches became known as cardinal priests. The division of Rome into distinct 
into distincts for works of charity had been made somewhat clear, and the priests of these areas were known as cardinal deacons. Bishops near Rome were known as cardinal bishops. These men were the nucleus of what was to become the College of Cardinals. Hildebrand was placed in charge of finances of the Roman see and thus became a cardinal. Hildebrand exercised still greater power during the rule of Nicholas II in 1058 to 1061, when he helped to have ecclesiastical legislation passed that took the power of electing the Pope out of the hands of the populace of the Roman bishopric. The bishops of Rome had been elected from the earliest time by popular vote, though the emperors of the Roman Empire, Holy Roman Empire had often interfered in elections, and in the days of Hildebrand, the aristocracy of Rome had come to exercise corrupt control over the elections. At the Lateran Council of 1059, Nicholas, counseled by Humbert, Humbert and Hildebrand, had the method of electing popes changed so that Roman lay aristocratic or German imperial influence might be eliminated. When a pope died, the cardinal bishops would meet to consider his successor. They would then consult the cardinal priests and cardinal deacons. Only then were the people of the Roman bishopric to be permitted to vote on the nominee of the cardinals. For all practical purposes, this put the election of the Pope under the control of the College of Cardinals. A clergyman from anywhere in the Roman Catholic Church might be selected as Pope. And in case of unrest, the election might be held outside of Rome. The new Pope was to take office immediately after his, his election. This change in the electoral procedure placed the choice of the Pope within the power of the clergy and eliminated lay control. The significance of this legislation for the rise of papal power must not be overlooked. Heading B. Pope Gregory VII. Hildebrand was unanimously elected as Pope Gregory VII in 1073 as a result of the people's shouting, Let Hildebrand be bishop. He was now in a position to work directly for his ideal of a theocracy, in which temporal as well as spiritual power would be exercised by the Pope as the vice-regent of God. He wanted no civil power to dominate the Roman Church. Instead, the Church was to control the civil power. For this reason, he dedicated himself to the abolition of lay investiture, the practice by which the clerical leaders received the symbols of their office from their feudal lord, who was usually a layman. He was also interested in the abolition of simony, and the enforcement of clerical celibacy as the best way to reform the Roman Church. This ideal of papal supremacy within the Roman Church and over temporal rulers is clearly developed in the Dictatus Pape, a document that was found among the letters of Hildebrand after his death. Even if Cardinal Ducidit, who is often credited with its authorship, wrote it, the document clearly expressed Gregory's ideal for the papacy. It made the most sweeping claims for papal supremacy that have thus far been noticed. It averred that the Roman Church owed its foundation to God alone, that, it, that its pontiff was alone to be called universal, that he had full power over all bishops, 
that only his feet should be kissed by all princes, and that he could dispose or depose emperors, and that he might absolve subjects of evil temporal rulers for their allegiance. The peak of papal pretension to supremacy was reached in the 22nd article of the Dictatus with the statement that there had been had never been error in the in the Roman church and that according to the bible it would never err let me repeat that sentence again for our hearers the peak of papal pretension to supremacy was reached in the 22nd article of the dictatus with the with the statement that there had never been error in the roman church and that according to the bible it would never err Gregory was fully prepared to enforce these claims to temporal as well as spiritual supremacy. He asserted that countries such as England, Hungary, Russia, and Spain had been put under the control of Peter and his successors. While Gregory warned successfully against clerical marriages and simony, the claims of the Dictatus indicated that his greatest problem would be to bring temporal rulers under his control. The major struggle of this pontificate, the struggle over the question of lay investiture, was a heritage from his predecessor Alexander II. The important archbishopric of Milan was vacant, and the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, Henry IV, selected a man named Godfrey to fill the office. The electoral body of the archbishop, however, chose a man named Otto. Alexander II recognized Otto, and just before he died, he excommunicated Godfrey. His successor, Hildebrand, gladly took up the struggle with Henry. In 1075, a Roman synod forbade any high clergyman to receive investiture to a church office from a layman. Henry also was ready for the struggle with the spiritual power of the papacy, but he had not been schooled to discipline himself. This flaw led him to take unwise courses of action in the struggle with, Pope, with the Pope, and he soon faced the rebellious feudal lords of Saxony, who resented his attempts to create a centralized state in Germany. After making a temporary peace with the Saxon nobles, Henry, five of whose counselors had been excommunicated by Gregory in 1075 for simony, called a council in January 1076 at Worms. The council rejected papal authority. Gregory met his bitter denunciation and rejection of his authority by excommunicating Henry and releasing all his subjects from allegiance to him. This was as bold a step as any pope had ever taken in a dispute with the temporal power. But Henry's weakness at home gave Gregory hopes of success. In the fall of 1076, Henry's Saxon and other enemies declared that if he did not get release from Gregory's sentence of excommunication against him, they would depose him. They also invited Gregory to a synod that was to meet at Augustburg in the winter. Faced with the danger of losing his throne and humiliation with, within his own realm of Gregory, came Augsburg, Henry capital, capitulated, and with his wife and his baby son, crossed the Alps in the winter of 1077 to meet Gregory at Canossa. It was a difficult journey, and when Henry finally reached Canossa, Gregory let him stand barefoot in the snow outside the gates of the palace 
on three successive days before he would admit him to his presence. He then released him from his sentence of excommunication. Although the greatest ruler in Christendom was thus humiliated by the Pope, Henry gained much of his submission, much by his submission, for he had kept Gregory from coming to a meeting at Augsburg and had defeated his German foes. The struggle continued throughout the remainder of Gregory's pontificate. Gregory later excommunicated and deposed Henry a second time, but with Germany supporting him, Henry invaded Italy and selected Wibert, Wibert as Pope. After he was crowned by Wibert, Henry left Italy. Gregory then asked the Normans of southern Italy to help him. They did, but they also pillaged in the area around Rome, and Gregory was forced to flee to Salerno. There this, this great pope died in exile because, according to him, he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. The warfare over lay investiture continued until a compromise agreement was made in the Concordat of Worms between em Emperor Henry V and Pope Calixtus II in 1122. Free elections of churches, church officers by churchmen were to be held in the presence of the king. The ring and staff symbols of spiritual power were to be given to church officials by the pope or his agent and the church officially, official was to take an oath of loyalty to the temporal ruler who happened to be his feudal lord. The Roman Catholic Church had the better of the king in spite of the compromise reached, because it had at least asserted equality with the state and had freed itself of imperial control in Italy. In addition, by his enforcement of clerical celibacy after the ban of, on clerical marriage in 1074, Gregory had prevented the clergy from de degenerating into a hereditary caste and had created a class of men loyal to their spiritual superior, the Pope. This settlement solved the issue of lay investiture. Although he died in exile because he loved justice and hated iniquity, Gregory had done his work, and later popes built on the foundation that he had laid. Roman numeral two. Papal Supremacy under Innocent III. Elected as Pope in 1198, Innocent III, 1161-1216, brought the medieval papacy to the zenith of its power. He was the son of Roman noble of a Roman noble and was given a fine education in theology at Paris and in law at Bologna. His personal humility and piety were balanced by vigor, common sense, and a strong sense of the moral force that the papacy had. Innocent believed that he was the vicar of Christ, with supreme authority on earth. He believed that kings and princes derived their authority from him, and that he could therefore excommunicate, depose them, or lay an interdict, which forbade the clergy to perform any but the most essential services of the church upon their state. He believed that God had given the successor of Peter the task of ruling the whole world as well as the church. The Pope stood above man and below God. The state should be related to the church as the moon is to the sun. The moon shines by the reflected light of the sun. The state was to bask in the glory of the papacy and derive its power from the Pope. 
It is little wonder that with this view of his authority and all the power and prestige of the papacy under his control, Innocent was able to bring the rulers of the rising nation-states of England and France under his control and to defeat the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. The position of the papacy had been further strengthened by the publication of an authoritative edition of the canon of law, canon law of the Roman Church about 1140 by Gratian, a teacher monk in Bologna. This edition, known as the Decretum, provided a complete statement of canon law that could be used in all the courts of the Roman Church. It must be remembered that Roman law, which was the foundation on which canon law was built, supported the idea of centralization of authority in one individual. The Pope made full use of this system to buttress his authority and to find legally trained administrators. Heading A. Temporal versus Spiritual Rulers Innocent III quickly took up the challenge of the rulers of the rising nation-states of France and England and of the Holy Roman Empire after his succession to the chair of Peter. He used his power first against Philip Augustus of France in order that he might demonstrate that not even a king could flout the moral law of God concerning marriage. Philip had married Ingeborg of Denmark, Denmark after the death of his first wife in 1193. And when his bride came to France, he took a dislike to her and claimed that he had been bewitched. He forced the French bishops to annul the marriage, and he took Agnes into his home as his wife. Ingeborg appealed to the Pope for redress. Innocent thereupon ordered Philip to put away Agnes and to restore Ingeborg to her place as his lawful wife. When Philip refused to do so, Innocent placed France under the interdict in 1200. The interdict, which affected everyone in the nation, closed all churches except for the baptism of infants and the granting of extreme unction to the dying, forbade the celebration of the Mass except for those who were sick or dying, and banned burial in consecrated ground. The priest was not allowed to preach except in the open air. The uproar that the interdict created all over France forced Philip to submit to the Pope, and with bad grace he sent Agnes away and brought Ingeborg back into the palace of his wife, as his wife. Ingeborg's life was still not happy, but Innocent, by the use of spiritual weapons, had forced the ruler of one of the great nation, new nation-states to obey the moral law. Between 1205 and 1213, Innocent was able to defeat John of England in a contest over the election of an archbishop to the vacant archbishopric of Canterbury. Both the archbishop elected by the clergy and the archbishop and clergy of the archbishop and the nominee forced on them by John were set aside by Innocent when the question of his confirmation of the appointment arose. He appointed Stephen Langton instead. John refused to accept Langton, innocent. Innocent then excommunicated John in 1209 after placing an interdict upon England in 1208. John was forced to humble himself because the English were opposed to him, and Philip of France, at the invitation of the Pope, was only too happy to have an excuse to invade England. John acknowledged in 1212 that he had held his kingdom as the feudal vassal of the Pope, 
and agreed to pay a thousand marks annually to the Pope. This payment was not finally repudiated until the time of the English Reformation. Having successfully humiliated the rulers of the two most important emerging nation national states, Innocent III decided that it was time to deal with the problem of the ruler of the Holy Roman Empire. In 1202, he asserted the right of the Pope to approve or disapprove the emperor elected by the German electors of the empire. The compromise of Worms had created what was an uneasy armistice between emperor and pope, and the Italian people were anxious to cooperate with the pope to end imperial interference by the emperor in Italy. Henry VI, emperor between 1190 and 1197, had married a Norman princess named Constance. Though his marriage to her, he laid claim to, through his marriage to her, he laid claim to Sicily as part of his dominion. This gave him control of lands to the north and south of the Papal States. His son, Frederick, was made king of Sicily, and Innocent was made his guardian after the death of Constance, when Otto IV forgot the promises that he had made to Innocent at the time of his coronation as Holy Roman Empire, Innocent supported the claims of Frederick to the imperial throne and was able to secure his election at the office of his emperor, Frederick II, in 1212. Innocent then called in the armies of Philip II of France and defeated Otto of Bovines in 1214. Thus, by clever political maneuvering, Innocent had dictated the imperial succession, but while he, his reign marked the peak of medieval papal power, the great pope had unwittingly created a problem for his successors. Twice in the case of John of England and Otto of the Empire, Innocent had asked the king of France to help him win his struggle. By doing so, by so doing, he had destroyed the power of the Holy Roman Empire and left his successors without a balance against the powerful French state. Before this time, the Pope could play the French king and the emperor against each other. One does not wonder that later Boniface the Eighth suffered hum humiliation at the hands of the rulers of the powerful nation-states of England and France. Popes were usually able to humble rulers until nation-states appeared. Heading B. Innocent III as a Crusader the Fourth Crusade to recover Palestine from the Muslims by capturing Egypt as a base for later actions was instigated by Innocent and several French priests. It was largely a French crusade under papal direction, and when boats were needed to transport the crusaders to their objective, the Doge of Venice agreed to supply transports and supplies in return for a large sum of money. The crusaders came to Venice, but without enough money. Thereupon, the Venetians asked their aid to regain Zara, which had once belonged to Venice. From the Christian king of Hungary, after the sack of Zara, the crusaders sailed to Constantinople instead of Hungary. After the sack of Zara, the crusaders sailed to Constantinople instead of Alexandria, and after a siege, captured the city in 1204. A Latin kingdom, which lasted until 1261, was set up at Constantinople. Although Innocent had not officially sanctioned the diversion of the crusading Christians against their fellow Christians in Zara and Constantinople, he accepted the results because it brought the Eastern Empire under his control and because Constantinople could serve as a base for the Fifth Crusade that he was planning against the Muslims, 
the Eastern Empire, as well as the rulers of the West, now were under his control. He stood forth as the leading figure in medieval Europe. Innocent also sponsored a crusade under the leadership of Simon de Montfort against the Albigenese of southern France in 1209. Albigenese were members of the her heretical sect known as the Cathari. Because they claimed their beliefs were based on the Bible, the Roman Church later forbade the people to possess the Bible. The crusade got underway in 1209 and virtually exterminated the Cathari in southern France after many bloody battles. This crusade was strongly supported by both the Dominican and the Franciscan orders. Heretics as well as temporal rulers had to bow to the supreme head of the Roman Church. Heading C the Fourth Lateran Council of 1215. Having abolished heresy by force, Innocent attempted to make a positive statement of truth. In order to do this, he called a general council in Rome. This council, known as the Fourth Lateran Council, made an annual confession to a priest by all the laymen mandatory and declared that all must be at the Mass at least at Easter. The Declaration of the Dogma of Transubstantiation which all members of the Roman Church had to accept as authentic doctrine from this time on, was more important. It was the teaching that the substance of the bread and wine became the actual body and blood of Christ after the words of consecration by the priest. The accidents or outward form of the elements still appeared to the senses as bread and wine, but a metaphysical change had taken place in the substances so that the bread and wine became respectively the body and blood of Christ. Thus the priest performed a sacrifice each time he held the Mass. Small wonder that medieval men feared the clergy, who had power to give or withhold the life-giving sacraments. Roman numeral three, Decline of Papal Power under Boniface the Eighth. The pontificate of Innocent III marked the peak of papal power in Europe. Sordid stories of nepotism, simony, drunkenness, and neglect of their people by the priests antagonized many in the century following Innocent's death in 1216. Rulers of such rising nation-states as England and France were more inclined to dispute with the papacy because they had a national army and a wealthy middle class to back them up. The humiliation of the Holy Roman Empire by Innocent III left the Pope with little support against the French ruler. If the pontificate of Innocent III was the zenith of papal power in the Middle Ages, that of Boniface VIII between 1294 and 1303 may be said to be the nadar of papal power. The nadar of, of papal power. On more than one occasion, Boniface suffered humilia humiliation from the temporal power. The greatest struggle took place between Boniface and Philip the Fair of France. To help pay the costs of a war between their two countries, Philip of France and Edward I of England taxed the clergy. In 1296, Boniface issued the bull Clericus Laesios, which forbade the priest to pay taxes to a temporal ruler without papal consent. Edward met the challenge by outlawing the clergy and by having Parliament pass an act forbidding them to acknowledge the Pope's claims of temporal power in England. Philip met the challenge by forbidding the export of money from France to Italy, and thus deprived the papacy of its French revenues. 
The struggle between Philip and Boniface was renewed in 1301, when Philip arrested the papal legate, legate for treason against the king. When the Pope ordered Philip to release him and to come to Rome to explain his conduct, Philip called the French legislative body the Estes General, which upheld Philip's resistance to the demands of Boniface. Boniface then issued the papal bull known as Unum Sanctum. He claimed that neither salvation nor remission of sins could be found outside the Roman Church, that the Pope, as head of the Roman Church, had spiritual or and temporal authority over all, and that the submission to the Pope was necessary to salvation. These ideas were repeated, repeated in Quanto Confissimar, issued by Pius the, the Ninth in 1863. Boniface could not, however, back up his claims with armies, and Philip temporarily made Boniface a prisoner to prevent his proclamation of excommunication of the king. Clement V became Pope after the death of Boniface, and he transferred the papal court in 1309 to Avignon, where he had his court. He and his court were under pressure from the king, whose territories were all around them. This was Canossa in reverse with a vengeance. The removal of the papal seat from Rome in 1309 was the beginning of the era known as the Babylonian captivity of the papacy. Until 1377, the papacy was under the influence of the French monarchs and lost a tr the tremendous moral and temporal power it had had in Europe during the pontificate of Innocent III. Internal failure and corruption and the external power of rising nation-states helped speed the decline of the papacy.